Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll look at those verses. Father, thank you so much for the privilege and the opportunity we have again to stand behind this sacred desk and to preach your word. Father, I pray that Jesus Christ would be honored and glorified, that you would receive all honor, all glory, uplifting your precious name. And Father, help us to take your word, apply it to our hearts and lives, to live it, that our faith would have works. And Lord, that we'd be about the task that you've called us to. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Thank you for this place called Fruitland Baptist Bible College, for the privilege to be here today, and for the opportunities you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, we'll read to verse 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Now, this message today, it, it deals with God's call in our lives. Now, and Jonah, we know, has been called a minor prophet, but he has a major message. And, uh, and I think that as you think about it, I've, I've heard him described as the reluctant prophet, um, he, he, the pouty prophet. I mean, there are a lot of ways. And, and our, our Old Testament brothers who teach, teach the Old Testament, there are a lot of other things that you could, I could learn uh, from their assessments there. But I want to ask you the question, has God called you? And let me ask you another question to follow that up. Has God ever uncalled you? Has God called you or has God ever uncalled you? See, the Bible says God's calling is without repentance. He still calls people. He still calls people to salvation. He still calls people to repentance. He still calls people to ministry. He's still calling. Now, let me ask another question. Do you think if God is putting a call on your life, is it too late to surrender? But let me ask you another question. Are you still breathing? Because if you're still breathing, it's not too late. You know, I, 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 would, I've, I thought about this as, as what I, I wanted to share with you. And, you know, folks, I'd rather go to heaven and meet God someday saying, I was obedient to the last day of my life, doing what he wanted me to do, rather than saying to God, well, God, I just never got around to it. Uh, Jonah then is the story of a man called to be a missionary who sought to evade the mission he was called to. And when you hear the name Jonah, what, what comes to your mind when you hear the, the word or the name Jonah? A whale, a great fish. You know, that, that's usually what we go to. But the Bible, the Bible does teach us that God prepared a great fish. doesn't say whale. Whale's a mammal. All right, but we think, well, that's what we saw as a kid, but it says a great fish to swallow up this disobedient missionary named Jonah during his time of disobedience. And you know why God did that? It was in order to preserve him, to punish him, and to prepare him. <laughs> he prepared this great fish. God created this fish specifically to help Jonah, to preserve him, to punish him, and to prepare him. So here's another question. 
What has God prepared you to do? Or what is God preparing for you in the days ahead? See, because the story of Jonah quickly reminds us God is a God of the second chance. We know that. And the third and the fourth and fifth. And he gives us many chances, many opportunities. But I think it could be said of Jonah at the end of his life, he was a man who in the end came through. He finally reluctantly obeyed. It's, it's how you finish that counts. Amen? It's how you're going to finish the game that counts. You can start great. You can start tremendous. But how are you going to finish the game? He let God, the thing about Jonah, he let God have the last word. And, and the book of Jonah, I think, magnifies the love of God and Jonah is a messenger of his word, of that love that he had for the people of Nineveh. G. Campbell Morgan one time said, Men have been looking so long at the great fish in Jonah, they fail to see the great God. You know, when I ask you, when you think of Jonah, what do you think? Well, fish. But there are several things that I want you to see in those three verses this morning. Get past the mindset of the fish and look at this. There is the calling of the master in this issue. God's call as it related to the life of Jonah, to your life and my life. That's what I love about this book so much. In verse 1 it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. God initiated the call. Now how, how did God call Jonah? He says, with the word of the Lord. God's word. The Lord sought Jonah. The Lord seeks the person he wants for the position, for the job. God seeks the person. You know, I've had people ask me before, Pastor, what brought you to Fairview? I've been at Fairview Baptist Church in Statesville for 33 years as a pastor. Never thought I'd be there that long. <laughs> Never dreamed I'd be there that time. I just said, God, forever, how long, whatever you want of me, I'm here. And, uh, and it's 33 years later, and people said, what brought you to Fairview? But I tell them, it's not what brought me to Fairview, it's who brought me to Fairview. Now, I'm here, and I'm at Fairview Baptist Church because of a divine call. I believe I'm here at Fruitland because of a call God put on my life to come and teach. And, and, and God was gracious, and, and, you know, I thank God that, that uh, Dr. Horton and Dr. Thompson and all the rest were gracious to allow me to be a part of this, this great school. But I'm here because of God's call. I'm at the church I serve because of God's divine call. And I, and I believe God chose me for Fairview, and he appointed me to be there. For 33 years at this point, sometimes I wondered, God, do you, <laughs> is this really what you want? But I believe that's what he wants. But let me, let me quickly mention some things about the divine call in our lives. One, it's a powerful thing because it's God's call. It's a powerful thing. Many of you are here because God has called you to some form, shape of ministry. And, and it's a powerful thing. See, what happened, I, I remember when God began to deal with my life in a call, God just disturbed my soul until I responded to it. And, and it, brought, it brought me face to face with Almighty God. And, you know, I, I think the Bible is the avowed enemy of the status quo. Don't, don't, ever, don't ever just think it's just status quo. This is powerful stuff. And when you pray, you need to pray, God, show me through your word. What you want. I'm yours, God. I'm here. What you want of me. Show me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. 
the word of the Lord came to you. The word of the Lord came to me. And the words, God's word moves up from the page. It grabs you around the throat. It grabs you around the heart. It disturbs your soul. It's powerful stuff. It's the living logos, the living word of God. You know, Abraham, God called him audibly. Uh, Joseph, he spoke to Joseph in a dream. Peter, he spoke to Peter in a vision. And, and God will take his word, folks, and he will forever confirm in our hearts the call of God in our lives. It's his word. It's powerful, but it's personal, too. He says, the word of the Lord came to who? To Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah was a real man, a real man in history. He ministered about 800 years before Jesus came on the scene. And just as much as God called Jonah, he's still calling people today, but many are not within calling distance because they refuse their life to the Lord and they keep him at arm's length. Has God called you? Or are you walking in disobedience at a guilty distance as to what God wants of your life? And if you do this, I'm going to tell you, you're going to be miserable. If God is putting a call on your life and you're trying to keep an arm's length and you're trying to go to Tarshish rather than Nineveh, you're going to be a miserable person. For example, I tell people in our church, if you sing in the choir to avoid doing something else God is calling you to do, you're walking in disobedience. If God's calling you to teach a class, but you're singing in the choir because you like to sing, and you're, you're keeping your distance from that teaching position that God wants you to do, you're being disobedient. We need to be answering the personal call of God in our lives because God knows you, he's your creator, and he knows how he can best use you. It's a personal call. But it's also, it's a definite call. There, there are three imperatives, I don't know if you noticed in those first three verses, there are three imperatives. It means, he said, you have no option, Jonah, you have no option. We don't pick and choose. It's God who leads us. It's God who shows us. He told Jonah, get up, arise, get up. He was either laying down or sitting down. He says, get up. Then he says, go. Now get after it. And then he says, go cry against or preach to that people in that great city called Nineveh. He said, get up, go after it, and preach. And, and, the, and the imperative command here, only one thing God asks of us, that is our obedience. Obedience to the call. And anything less than that is what, is, 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 is what the Father is anticipating from us. Anything less is less than what God is anticipating from us. Be obedient. God's calling you, be obedient. Get up, go after it, preach. And the definite, it's a definite command there. It's personally pointed. Jonah, you get up, arise, go to Nineveh. You know, one of, you know, one of the greatest joys in my life is to know I'm where I am because it's where God sent me. Greatest joy, greatest peace. And it's, a personally, and it's personally purposeful. Go there, he says. Go to Nineveh. Cry against that great city because their wickedness is before me. God, God just said, you go, you preach my word. That's all he told him to do. And you know, there are three things... Uh, you know, when you think about that, I see here there's a, there's a designated preacher. God called Jonah. Or he calls you or me. There's a, there's a designated place. He says, go to Nineveh. God tells you what he wants you to do, where he wants you to go. And then there's a definite purpose. You know what he wants you to do. If it's to preach, it's to teach, it's to encourage, 
There is a, a, a call, a place, a purpose. That's all you need. Listen, folks, that's all you need when it carries out the call. But you know something I've learned, too, about God's call? It's a difficult commission. And that's the key, I think, for us to understand Jonah. He says, get up, go to that great city, Nineveh, and preach against it. Now, Jonah was a Jew. God told him to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, present-day Iraq. The Jews hated the Assyrians. The Assyrians had done unspeakable things to the Jews through the many years. It imprisoned them, beat them in battle. I mean, it was a difficult com commission because Jonah hated the Assyrians. He hated the Ninevites. How would, you how would you like to be able to have to preach and God's telling you to preach or teach or sing to somebody you hate every week? That may be the case in your life, but anyway. But that's what Jonah, he said, I hate those people. I don't want to go preach to them. I don't, I don't want to do all this. And, and, you know, there are two things about Nineveh. It was a great city. Close to a million people, understood, 600,000 or more people. The, the, build, the city itself was 30 miles long, 10 miles wide. The walls of the city were said to be 100 feet high, and, and they were so wide they could ride three chariots side by side on the top of the walls. That's how huge this city was. Many, many people, but it was a wicked, godly city. Nahum, in his prophecies, Nahum chapter 3, verse 1, a later prophet also spoke of the wickedness of Nineveh. It's still a wicked city, even though it's large, it's widely populated. But Jonah had this charge. Go across your culture barriers. Go to people who are different, who are wicked. And God said, I'm behind you, Jonah. I'm commissioning you. You go preach my word. I'm personalizing your ministry. Go. God called Jonah. But then look how Jonah responded. He called him. He went. But he didn't go where God sent him. He got up. He went but it isn't where God said go. He's running away. He got up, but he goes the wrong way. He goes totally the opposite way. And you know something, folks? Disobedience in our lives always leads us to run away. Disobedience will always cause you to flee from God. Not run to him, but run away from him. And there are two things here. Disobedience is very extensive. It's, it's, it's a distance, and it always brings downwardness in our lives. You, you know, you can get a while far away from God, can you? You know, I've heard people, they, they tell me, well, preacher, I need to get right with God. I'm just so far away from him. You ever had anybody tell you that? I, I, just, I need to get right with God. I'm just so far away. But folks, you know something? There's no such thing as near disobedience. You either obey or you disobey. There's nothing about near or far. You either obey or disobey. And, and are you, you've heard people say, well, I almost made a decision. I almost responded to Jesus Look, folks, we're not playing horseshoes and we're not throwing hand grenades. Almost doesn't count. It's still disobedience. God said, go to Nineveh, Jonah, but he goes to Tarsus. He heads to Tarsus. Nineveh is northeast from his home. Tarsus is southwest, going as far away as he could. Jonah was diametrically opposing the will of God, and he just went opposite of what God asked him to do. Tarshish is modern-day Spain in that area. It was the farthest known westerly place for a Jew in the known world. And Jonah 
What he wanted to do was get away as far as possible from where God wanted him to go. And this wasn't moderate disobedience. He, went almost, he was going to go almost 2,000 miles in the opposite direction. <laughs> where was he going? The Bible said he just went away from the presence of the Lord. He went away. It's one thing to be away from Nineveh. It's another to be away from the presence of God. Now follow me. Wherever God, whatever and wherever God calls you to go, that's where you're going to enjoy his presence because that's where he'll be. And we nullify the presence of God when we go where he isn't sending us. And I hope you heard that. What does it mean to get away from God's presence? Adam and Eve. Think about Adam and Eve. They hid from God in the garden after they sinned in the trees. Some of us today are hiding from God in the trees. We just try to get ourselves lost in the trees. Cain, in Genesis 4.16, it says he went out from the presence of God to the land of Nod. Some of us are trying to go to the land of Nod. Nobody has ever been successful from running from, with running from God. You can't. It's a thankless task. Everywhere you run, he's already there when you get there. <laughs> so think about that. And if God called you and you're running, God's on your trail. God's hot on your trail. There, he's got two, two watchdogs. I love this description of I've heard preached before. He has two watchdogs named Grace and Mercy. And you get off the trail and Mercy and Grace get after you. You know, I've had people tell me, Preacher, you just get under my skin sometimes. Anybody ever told you that? Or, or you maybe you're listening to somebody gets under your skin. No, no it's, it's, it, God doesn't get under my skin. It, it's the hounds of heaven, Grace and Mercy on our trail as you think about it. He is in the, the, the psalmist said he's in the uttermost depths of the seas in the highest heights. And, you know, he's there. He's already there ahead of us. Now, Jonah took a fish ride or a whale ride, but he didn't have a whale of a time. Think about that. God met him in the uttermost parts. Even in the uttermost depths of the sea, God met him there in the belly of a great fish. Now, think about that. How great is that? We, as the children of God, cannot hide from God. You can't do it. He can see you wherever you are. God's all over your trail. <laughs> but you know, another thing, disobedience always is a downward trend. It's impossible, it's impossible to fall upwards. If I come to the edge of this stage, I'm going to fall downwards. I'm going to fall down. You talk about falling down. You don't talk about falling up. Now, I have fallen upstairs as you walk up them, but rain falls down. Everything falls downward. Disobedience will never lead you upward, folks, only downward. And I want you to notice these things about Jonah. Jonah, it says, when he went away from the presence of God, the journey was down. Look at those scriptures. Down to Joppa. Down into the ship. Down into Tarsus. Down to Tarsus. Down into the sea. Down into the belly of a great fish. Down into the depths of the sea. It's all down. All downward. Jonah went to Joppa. He found a ship. And wherever you decide, whenever you decide not to go in God's direction, the devil always will have a boat waiting for you. And he'll have it there waiting for you to take you wherever you want to go. Away from the will of God. He'll send the transportation you need to flee the presence and the will of Almighty God. There's always a boat waiting you're always going down though. 
And you know something else that I, you see in these verses? Disobedience is always very expensive. Verse 3, it says he paid the fare. He, he bought a ticket, got on the boat. And anytime we're disobedient, we're going to pay the cost. Sin always comes at a high cost. Somebody said, you always pay in full for riding the ship of the world. See, the whole book of Jonah really is about how much it cost Jonah to take that trip and what he had to pay. Because many of, many of us this morning could say, listen, Pastor, let me tell you what I've learned about the cost of disobedience to God, and we all could have a testimony there. Warren Wiersbe said, it took God longer to prepare his servant to obey his call than it did to prepare the entire godless city, the entire godless city of Nineveh to repent. Look all through Jonah, how, how much and how long it took God to prepare Jonah to get him ready to go preach the word that he just simply gave him a short message than it did to prepare the people of Nineveh because we know when he went, he preached, he listened, he finally obeyed. The whole city repented, even the king. The whole city repented. You know, it'd be awesome. You know what would be awesome? Yeah, I, I've wondered many times how many hours I have logged preaching to help disobedient people become obedient. Because I, I, I thought about that, and a lot of my preaching lends to that, is helping the disobedient become obedient. Christians. It'd be awesome, wouldn't it, if, if, if you'd bring your lost friends to church and, and, and we'd see 50, 75, 100 people get saved, but... But you know, I don't get a whole lot of time to preach to the lost. Why? Because I spend most of my time trying to help Christians get right with God. It, and it seemingly takes longer to see Christians get right than it does sinners to repent. That's, that's why I rejoice. Had a, had a young man come forward this past Sunday, profess his faith in Christ. Man, we celebrate when that happens. He came, and, and, and it's an exciting thing, but most of the time my preaching is trying to help Christians get to the point where they're trying to be obedient. Jonah paid the fare, it says, to go to Tarshish. And interestingly enough, it was a one-way ticket. It's a one-way ship. No record we have that that ship would be coming back. And you know the thing about that, that it shows us the ships that take you from the presence of God are always one-way journeys. They're not round-trip tickets. And until God intervenes and brings you back some other way, like he did Jonah. And Jonah got back, but it was a very interesting journey on his way back home. Now, I want to leave you today with a challenge. How many of you know very much about Mormons? You know very much about Mormons. Well, if, if you've ever had a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness knock on your door, raise your hand. Okay, a lot of us. How many of you have had, how many of you had the last year a Christian come knock on your door to visit you? Okay, a few hands. Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, which we know are cults, take their understanding of the calling of God on their life more seriously than we as Baptists do. Now, why is that? Let me, let me share something with you. A Mormon family has a new baby. Now, or an average Baptist family has a new baby. Uh, I, have, I have four grandchildren. My wife is the ultimate nana. She, she, we love our grandkids. 
And, you know, when they came into the world, you know, we did the things that grandparents do. And, you know, you try to open a little savings account and you try to do some things like that. And their parents do that. And the average Baptist family, most, most people will open a, a college account or you start saving for a wedding or something in that child's life in the future. that pretty accurate? This means yes. All right. And, and you know, something I've learned, some parents are more concerned about where their kids will go to school rather than where they'll spend eternity. And you don't have to like that. That's not up for a vote. That's truth. But do you know what an average Mormon family does when they have a, a child born into their home? They open a missionary account. And they save until that child is in their late teens, maybe early 20s, and they look forward to them serving God for two years in the United States or somewhere in the world. And they save for them to do that. That's the goal they have for their children. Now, at the Southern Baptist Convention, we have over 5,000 missionaries worldwide. Mormons have over 50,000. Those guys that ride... The bicycles with their driving cars, I've noticed a little more lately. But they have the white shirts, the little black ties, uh, that kind of thing. They're doing a better job than we are. And when these Mormon youth go, they don't go before the church and say, if, if, you, if you give and help me, I, I can go to this missionary spot for two years. Would you help me as a church? No, they don't do that. The money's already there. Why? Because the parents have been saving all their life for their missionary journey. Somebody give me an aspirin because I'm really getting a headache thinking about this. I really, really am. But you know, every one of those Mormon families, we claim they don't believe right. They don't have right doctrine. We know that. But they're doing a lot better with what they believe, and that's wrong then we are believing what's right. Just saying. You know, we have a young person that might come before us as a church and we might say to them, thanks for the appeal, I'll, I'll pray about giving, but don't remember, but you got to remember, i got kids, i got to educate and a wedding to pay for. The world's going to have to wait or maybe go to hell. You understand, don't you? <laughs> now, you might say, preacher, what are you trying to say? You know, I've got a dream. You know, people have been known to have dreams. And I, I, even though I'm, I'm in my 60s, I, I still have dreams and visions for what God wants of my life. But you know what I have a dream of? Steve, what I have a dream of is that there are people coming to my house, knocking on my door, but they don't have a little badge that says elder. They're, and they're not carrying a satchel full of literature from the watchtower. But they're from Fairview Baptist Church, and we're here just to say, hello, we care about you. Folks, we need to quit criticizing Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, and just we just need to simply do better than they do. We got the true message, the right message, don't we? Don't we? They don't. Oh, God, get a hold of our hearts. Help us to be obedient. You know, it's the whole story of Jonah. 
We need to do what he wants us to do. That's why it's exciting to, to hear my brother talk about revitalizing churches. Now, what a great need because he's right. Most of our Southern Baptist churches are plateaued or dying. And this is a great thing that's happening as churches are finding revitalization and finding a new vision and a fresh new wind among them. Oh, God, get a hold of our hearts. Because we're talking about the call of God here. So, again, I ask the question, what is God calling you to do? Where is God calling you to go? Who's God calling you to go to? And what's God asking you to pray about? Oh, God, help us that we be consumed with a passion to be obedient to our call. And then do it. Then do it. Pray with me, please. Lord, in Jesus' name, I... I do know that you are calling, and I pray that in this call that many of us will hear and be willing to go. Oh, God, work mightily, mightily in our hearts to draw people to yourself. And, Lord, I pray that you give the students of Fruitland Baptist Bible College and the staff, all of us as professors and every one of us, a dream that would cause the imps and demons of hell to tremble. Put us on our knees, Lord. Then get us up and we'll rise to go to Nineveh of our own calling. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.